All right. Well, don't you love hearing Jonathan sing in Spanish? He just tears it up. You guys uh, know that we're blessed to have some great worship leaders. Stephen, our worship pastor, is leading a massive conference this weekend called World Mandate Texas. And we'll be having World Mandate West in the spring here in San Diego. So he and Pastor Gino are there as well. And so Jonathan's leading us. And man, you got to see this guy south of the border. He just gets on fire when he starts singing and speaking in Spanish. And si hablas uh, español, tenemos un life group cada martes para ti. So if you speak Spanish, we have a life group meeting every week for you. We also have a Swahili life group meeting as well. And so if you speak a different languages, we have hopefully one coming to a theater near you very soon. Uh, we're in this Partying God series. If you have a Bible, turn with me to chapter 11 of John. John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand right now. We'd love to put one in your hand as we speak. And this is our gift to you. You can take it home. You don't need to give it back. We love giving out the word of God every week. Now, you guys know we're in a series called The Partying God, discovering a father of extravagant celebration. And I've been getting great feedback on what people are seeing and learning as we talk about God being the author of the party. But here's what I also know is that this series, these last couple of weeks, has been challenging for some of you. And the reason is, is because you're going through circumstances or issues in your life that have made it somewhat challenging to party, somewhat challenging to celebrate. I was thinking about a time that I was having a hard time really getting into a party. It was 12 years ago. Stephanie and I had just gotten married. And Stephanie's from the Chicago area in a, in a community called Lake Forest. It's just kind of a one-of-a-kind community. I'd never seen anything like it. But because we met each other at Baylor University in Texas, that's where our wedding was. And so... Her family came down, but many of her friends weren't able to come to the wedding. And so there was a wedding taking place a couple months after we got married in Lake Forest. This was going to be my opportunity to get introduced to much of Stephanie's family, friends. And so this was my chance to make a good impression on them. Now, I want you to know something about me is I don't like being underdressed in life. That was something my mom always told me, you know, it's always better to go overdressed. You can always kind of peel off layers, but you don't want to show up at something underdressed. So that was kind of a big deal to me. Now, you got to understand I'm from Austin, Texas, but went to, to school at Baylor in Waco, Texas. Weddings in Waco are not very formal. Okay, that is, it is not very formal you know, we, we kind of had the same uh, aura of California, the California casual. You go to some weddings here, people are in flip-flops and shorts, right? Kind of the same vibe. If you really wanted to get dressed up, you put on slacks and a button-down shirt. Man, you were dressed to the nines if you had a tie on. So I hear about this wedding in Lake Forest, Illinois. So I'm thinking, okay, I, better safe than sorry. I'm not only going to have khakis. I'm going to not only have a tie. I'm going to even bring a navy blue blazer, Right? So I, I'm ready to go and I get there and I immediately realize something's wrong when Stephanie's mother and sister come out in evening gowns and I'm thinking, uh oh, this is not good. Stephanie's father and Stephanie's brother come out in really sleek suits. So we show up to the wedding 
And I look and I'm, I'm, I'm really interested because all these older men have tuxedos on and I'm going, man, they look really old to be groomsmen. What I didn't know is this was a black tie wedding. This was a black tie affair. So we go through the wedding and we get to the Exmoor Country Club. This is one of those country clubs that you only see in like Donald Trump land stuff. We pull up and we go to the, the, the lawn for the cocktails and hors d'oeuvres. And everyone's sitting there, you know, with their hors d'oeuvres and their cocktails. <laughs> Excuse me, you know, doing this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm frantically looking around the crowd because I have shown up in Walmart khakis and a blue blazer, a, you know, a little check shirt, a tie. And, and you know how you, you get when, when you feel like you're the only one that looks a certain way? You start desperately searching the crowd for someone that looks like you, right? So you can find someone to stand by. And I'm looking, and I'm having a hard time finding a person in a suit. They all have tuxedos on until finally I look down and there is someone dressed like me. It's a four-year-old. There's one four-year-old in khakis and a blazer, and I'm realizing it's probably, he's the only kid there. I'm realizing it's probably because his live-in governess probably got let off that day, and so the parents had to throw some clothes on him. So I'm looking down, and, and, and one by one, people are coming up to me, and they're like, hello, you know, and this is Stephanie's boyfriend. And I don't talk in an accent, you know, my, even though I'm from Texas, I don't really, no one ever says you have an accent, but all of a sudden I felt like such a hick and my voice, I, all of a sudden I was like, hello, I'm Robert, you know, down, down, I'm, I live in Waco, Texas, you know, and I was so embarrassed. Now this party was amazing. The spread laid out before us. They had a band that had just played at the presidential inauguration, 25 people in this band. I mean, they had the singers doing this, you know, during the song and. I really hope no one took a picture of that and post that, but I, it was, it was an amazing party, but I want to tell you, I didn't enjoy it at all. I just wanted to fade in the backgrounds because of what was going on with me personally, how I looked, how I was dressed. I, I just wanted the party to be over. I didn't enjoy the food. I didn't want to get out and dance. I really missed it because of my personal issues with my dress. Now I'm just kind of making light of going to a party and having some personal wardrobe issues. But I know that many of us in this room today, when we're talking about a party in God and we're talking about the kingdom of God being a celebration, you don't feel like you can enter into that celebration right now because of your personal issues, because of your personal trials. And the lie that the enemy would want us to believe during the Partying God series, discovering the God of extravagant celebration, is that if you're a Christian and you don't feel like partying today, that something's wrong with you. That's the lie he wants you to believe. So I want to uncover a story today in John chapter 11 about a family that was very close to Jesus. In fact, they partied with Jesus, but yet they experienced a serious challenge that really dampened their spirits. And we're going to jump in. John chapter 10, though, we need to do a little setup work because in John chapter 10, Jesus just went to the festival of dedication. So he, Jesus just showed up at a party, as we often see him doing. And at that party, it says that many people are believing in him. That's John chapter 10. But we get to John chapter 11, we're going to see something interesting. So read with me, starting in verse 1 of chapter 11. It says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary 
and her sister Martha. This Mary was the bro- uh, this Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick was the same one who perfume, poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one who you love is sick. Now, I want to tell you several reasons why I think it's hard for some of us to party. And here's the first one, is that when we have trying circumstances, when we have personal trials, this week I was battling a cold. And I want to tell you, I am not a good sick person. Is there anyone in this room that says, man, when I'm sick, I am not a fun person to be around? Is that you? Okay, you know, you have these little romantic comedies and the lover gets sick and she's all cute under the blanket and sniffling in her little tissue and the the man comes in and brings her flowers. And, you know, some people are cute when they're sick. Oh, they're sick. They're so cute. That's not me. I'm like a grouch when I'm sick. You know, I'm Oscar the grouch. People are not enjoying it. And I'm not one of those suffering silent types. I want everyone to know I'm overblowing my nose. No, I'm sick right now, right? I want people to know I'm a high maintenance. You know, I, poor Stephanie, I just shut down. I'm like, I need my sleep. You know, good luck with the kids. Those are your kids this week. You know, I, I'm getting my sleep. I'm taking just just shovel loads of medicine. I'm squirting things up my nose. I'm putting lotion all over me. And I'm just not a good sick person. And I want to tell you, when we have physical ailments, often it's really hard to celebrate. And I'm not making light of that. I've suffered physically before. And I know that in those times, it's really hard to enter into the kingdom celebration. Now, the, the thing I want to show you is that it it's very clear in this scripture that it's Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And these are people that Jesus loved. And if you, if you go on to the next verse, it it talks about verse three, the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one who you love is sick. Now let me just dispel a misnomer in the body of Christ that those that get really close to Jesus, nothing bad happens to that's a, a lie that we sometimes believe. And you come close to Jesus, if and I'm just close enough, I'm totally immune to the world's problems. I think the Bible's so clear to show us this is a family that Jesus really loved. And guess what? Something bad happened to them. Because that's another one of the enemy schemes that, you know what? God doesn't love you. Look at what's going on in your life right now. If he loved you, this wouldn't be happening. And so scripture is really clear to show us this is a family that Jesus loved. He loved to be with. In fact, he had dinner parties with them. But what happened? Something bad's happening. This guy is sick. Now let's keep going on because this is really important for us to see. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So this is going to bring me to my most important point this morning that we're going to see over and over and over again. You're going to have trials in life. You're going to have pain in life. We talked last week about God's parting people. I want to tell you that God's parting people will have trials. Jesus guaranteed it. John 16, 33 says in this world, you will have trouble. I want to tell you men and women, Jesus said, you're going to have trouble, but in the midst of it, we can know that God is good And then he's working out your trials for your good. God is good and he's working out your trials and your challenging circumstances for your good. He says this, 
It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now that's really hard for us to grasp. Now it goes again. Verse five. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Let's put up the Greek definition of this word love. This word love isn't just God loves you. You're his kid, right? We think, you know, well, God has to love me. He created me. This scripture is saying God, Jesus is fond of these people. He dearly loved these people. Yet they find themselves in a crazy trial. So watch what happens next. It's actually very frustrating. This is a very frustrating verse. Verse 6. So when he, he meaning Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick. Watch what he does. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I think the second reason we can often find it hard to party as Christians is when we're in a bad circumstance and God doesn't remove us from the circumstance. You see, Jesus doesn't do anything about it. He hears that Lazarus is sick and what does he do? What does he do? Nothing. He just sits there. You're like, well, God, I'm praying. And, 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 and God, I have to have you deliver me by Friday. Have you ever done that? You know, like, God, you got to do something by Friday. And you get to Thursday and you got knots in your stomach. Is he going to do it on Friday? And you get to Friday and nothing. And you're like, okay, God, I'm going to give you a grace period. You are giving God a grace period, right? You're like, okay, God, maybe you didn't hear me. Okay, I'm going to give you to Sunday. And what happens? Nothing. And so all of a sudden we're like, okay, forget it. I'm a, I, there is no hope left on this earth. God has not done anything. I think that's what happens to us. Now, let's just keep reading this because we're going to see why Jesus is doing what Jesus is doing. I, I remember being in the hospital on what I thought was my deathbed. The ambulance had come and got me. I couldn't breathe. They had taken the defibrillators. They had shocked me. They were saying, we don't know if you're going to make it through. And I'm saying, God, you got to change the circumstance. And instead of getting better, I was getting worse. And in the middle of it, I get word that my granddaddy has died. This is the man who I grew up being at his house every single day. And he dies. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? Because I know you can do something. I know you can do something about this, but you're not changing my circumstances. And it's very frustrating for us. Look at verse seven. It says, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will stumble For they see by the world's light, it is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. This is starting to help us understand. Because we start saying, well, God, you don't understand my problems. God, you don't understand what it's like to be me. But if you look at this text, you start seeing, oh, Jesus was actually willing to walk right into the middle of trials. Jesus is walking right in the middle of pain. I don't know about you, but I've never had a whole group of people plotting to kill me. At least I don't think I have. They... They, they are saying, Jesus, why are you going into this problem? And he says this, because I don't just try to avoid problems in life. I don't just try to get out of things. No, I walk by the light of the Lord. I walk by what he reveals to me. And I know that I can walk through them. Jesus is our model, men and women. Let's keep going in this story. Verse 11. 
After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Verse 12, his disciples replied, this is so funny to me. His disciples replied, Lord, if he falls asleep, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. The disciples are such goofballs, right? So many of the times, right? Jesus is saying, hey, he's falling asleep. And they're like, well, don't wake him up for crying out loud. And he's like, okay, look, look at what Jesus says next. He goes, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> I love, Jesus is a realist, okay? I, I, I just want to help you out here that Jesus was okay speaking about reality. Sometimes we in the church, and especially de- de- depending on kind of what branch of the church you come from, we can be like, don't speak out something negative, And so you're like coughing up a lung and you're like, I'm not sick. Because you don't want to speak that you're sick because that could like jinx you and make you more sick. And I love how Jesus is like, hey, look, Lazarus is dead, folks. It's okay to be real with what's going on. We're not putting our faith in an equation. We put our faith in God. And so Jesus was really real. He says, Lazarus is dead, but watch this. Watch what he says next. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Huh? So that you may believe, but let us go to him. I want to tell you that we're going to have trials. We're going to have troubles. But in the midst of it, God is good. And he's working out your situation and your circumstances for your good. He said, I'm I'm glad that it didn't change because I'm about to do something that's going to draw you into me. I remember seeing this in in some family friends in my hometown. Their name were were the Madsons and they were good friends with my parents and they'd grown up together. And the Madsons weren't Christians. They weren't believers. Larry and Nancy, his wife, they were just classic worldly party people. They had kids, they had kind of the same family structure that me and my family had, and so they had kids, and everything seemed to be going good until Clay, the oldest son's junior year in high school, and he was stricken with very aggressive cancer. And all of a sudden, it it took the family and brought them to a screeching halt. But in the midst of that time, in the midst of that pain, the body of Christ, Christians started surrounding them and ministering to them and loving them. And Clay gave his life to Jesus. And then Larry, the father, gave his life to Jesus. Nancy, the wife, then the two younger daughters gave their lives to Jesus. In the midst of tremendous pain, they found Jesus. Now, the cancer kept getting worse and worse. And so they're calling out to God and they start going to places where God's power was moving. They said, okay, if God's moving somewhere, we're going to go there. So I remember Larry telling me a story about them going to this barn where this old farmer was doing services and praying for the sick. And so they go into this packed barn and get prayed for. Larry had blown out his knees. The father had blown out his knees in football. Clay was in serious pain. They, Larry and Clay go to this barn and this old farmer prays for him. The power of God comes on them so strongly. Larry says his whole body is shaking with the power of God. He'd limp around. His knees were so bad. All of a sudden, the power of God's on him. He's doing these deep knee bends, standing up, going like this. Because the power of God's on him so strong, his knees totally get healed. For an hour, he's bouncing up and down. 
clay gets touched by the power of God as well. But he didn't get healed. So all of a sudden, they're saved. They believe in the power of God. They've seen it. They've felt it. But things continue to get worse. Let's look at this next part of the story. Verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now that God will give you whatever you ask. I think another reason why it's often hard to party is because we don't get the answers to the prayer that we wanted. We don't get the answers we wanted when we prayed. Here she is praying that her brother won't die. And what happens? He dies. And so she's saying, Lord, why? If you would have been here. You know what? I I love this about Martha. And you need to take note of this, people of God, is it is right to go to God with your questions. It is right because you will either draw near to him with your questions or you will draw away in bitterness. You'll either draw near to God. He is big enough for you to ask your questions. God, why? I remember, man, I was asking these kind of questions when I was stricken with my heart condition. God, why? Why me? Why is this happening? Why do you not like me? Do you not here? I, I was asking these tough questions. God, why are, why is this stuff being taken away from me? I want you to know as a father, I have four kids. I want my kids to come and ask me why I don't do things when I don't do something and it's hard for them. I want them to come and say, daddy, why will you not give us this? Daddy, why will you not do this for us? Because I know What will happen if they don't feel like they can ask me? They will turn away in bitterness and ask other people why I'm like that. I want my kids to draw near to me. People of God, draw near to God. But here's here's what Martha knows. In the midst of it, she says this, but I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. She asks the question, why? She asked Jesus, why are you doing this? But she knew that he was good. She knew that he was good. People got go to God, ask him the questions, but have that deep underlying truth that's in this book that he is good. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God who's come into the world. Martha nailed it. Wow. Men and women, I want to tell you, even in our darkest hour, we have a reason to celebrate because we know that death is not the end for us. If you have given your life to Jesus, there is always hope. Because although this life might stink at times, you know that you are promised eternal life in heaven with Jesus in paradise. 
That's why Jesus died. That's why it says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. He came when Jesus died on the cross. He took your sins. You had a sin problem. It separated you from the sinless, perfect God. So Jesus comes and is a mediator in your place. And he takes your sins and he put them in his body. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. And then he died. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He's the resurrection and the life. And he defeats that power of sin and death so that you can be ushered into a relationship with him forever. And so for us, even when it gets really bad and everything seems to be going south, we can still say, but you know what? I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to be in an eternal celebration forever. Ha! And that's a reason to celebrate. The, the, the world doesn't have that. And I want to tell you, if you're not assured of your salvation, that we can nail that down today. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's jump back into the scripture, verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32 is where we are. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here she is complaining to Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. I think this is the fourth reason. While we find it hard to party, why we don't feel like parting is we're overcome with grief. Some of you today in this room are overcome with grief. And unfortunately, some of us believe that lie that we have to stuff our grief and that we can't express our grief. And you think that being a Christian means you have to just put on a happy smile all the time. And I want to tell you that if you don't rightfully deal with your grief, it will cause roots of bitterness in your heart against God and his people. I told this story about a month ago, but I felt like I was supposed to share it again about a young man who walked away from his faith. When he walked away, he was asked, why did you leave God? He told a story about his eight-year-old sister who was afflicted with a a very painful cancer and he watched her slowly wilt away and die. And they said, well, is that why, why you left the faith because of your sister's pain? No, that wasn't it. He said, what I saw was this. Everyone in my community, my church, just acted like it didn't affect them. They just said, well, it's just the will of the Lord. He must have wanted her back home. And he said, that's what people would say. They never cried, they never grieved, they never mourned. His father was the pastor. His father just kept on with business as usual. Well, this young man couldn't handle his pain. So he went up one evening to go to a secret place where he knew no one would be. He was up in the balcony of his church. 
and he's just sitting there asking questions and dealing with his sorrow when he hears the doors creak open and he sees a silhouette of a man walk down to the front and he hears him start heaving and sobbing and weeping. And he looks and he's in shock because it's his dad, the pastor. And then his dad ends by walking up to the altar and starting to curse God for what he did. And after a few minutes of that, his dad pulled it together, walked out. His son so desperately that night when he went home wanted to talk to his dad about his pain and his sorrow and to say, Dad, I saw you. But when he approached his dad that night, his dad had a plastic smile just saying everything was okay and that they had to trust the Lord and his goodwill. And the son said at that moment he made a decision that if that's what it meant to be a Christian that he wanted nothing to do with following Jesus. I want to tell you That the world is not looking for happy people all the time that just have a plastic smile on their face. They're looking for people that in the midst of their pain, they truly grieve, but in their grief have hope in the Lord. And I want to tell you that if you've never grieved, I want to set you free this morning to grieve. There's all kinds of pain in this room. There's divorce. There's the divorces you've been through, divorces that happened with your parents. There's abuse. There's molestation. There's rape. There's financial despair. There's sickness. And if you never grieve it, you can't let the Lord come in and heal your pain. Because the Bible says that he wants to give the garment a praise for a spirit of despair. He wants to comfort those who mourn, is what Scripture says. But if you don't mourn, you can't ever meet the one who comforts those who mourn. People of God, we need to grieve. And in the midst of our grieving, we need to be a people who mourn with those who mourn. And grieve with those who grieve. And don't just give them a trite answer saying, buck up. We need to be with them and cry with them and weep with them. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus wept. Let's finish here, verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not open the eyes of the blind? And it kept this man from dying. So Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. My friends, the Madsons, I was telling you about them. Clay just got sicker and sicker with his cancer. And though we prayed and though we cried out, Clay died. And we were broken about it. But after he died, something interesting started to happen. One by one, Clay's friends called out to God and were saved. People began to be saved left and right. Then Larry and Nancy, after a time of grieving, said, we're not going to just walk away from the Lord. If God wants to do something in this situation, we want to be used by him. And they had met some friends who were amazing Bible teachers. And so they paired up with them and said... You know what? As so many people are reaching out to us right now, we're going to reach out to them. And so they started to open their home to do these Bible studies called Walk Through the Bible. Now, the Madsons knew a lot of people, and especially through their struggle, they had reconnected with hundreds, maybe thousands of people. Larry was a city manager. And so he opened up his home, and they started bringing people in. One by one, their friends started coming to Christ. It started with ones and twos, it turns into fives and tens, then it went into the hundreds. The last count they had, 5,000 people go through the walk through the Bibles in their home. And 2,000 of those people come to know Jesus in a personal way. 
You ask Larry and Nancy, do you still have pain from Clay's death? They say, absolutely. But in the midst of it, God was good to them and has done something amazing. Look at this scripture. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave that had a stone laid across the entrance. And verse 20, uh, 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. I just sense even right now that God is highlighting that for you. You that are in trials, you that are in pain. If you will believe and hold to him and cling to him, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they might believe you sent me. Then he said, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the great clothes and let him go. Wow. That's a good story. You can clap. Because here's the truth. Jesus raises the dead. And I don't want to just start by spiritualizing this. I actually have friends, Jim Yost, who spoke with us at World Mandate. He has prayed for someone and then raised from the dead. It's documented. I, I know several people. I was just in Mongolia this summer where our movement there saw a person raised from the dead and basically the whole village came to the Lord. Hello. That's amazing. Jesus raises the dead. But now let me just give you an analogy for your life because what I see in this little text here is the words tomb. I see the word dead. I see the word bad odor. And some of us believe that unless we get our life perfect, that Jesus doesn't want to come and walk with us. And I want to tell you that Jesus goes into the dead and stinky places and brings hope and brings life. Jesus is entering into your stinkiness today, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, you stinky. No, just kidding. But, but Jesus is coming in to those places. Jesus is breaking in. Now, I, I know that every story doesn't resolve like this. Every time someone dies, they don't get raised from the dead. In fact, I've known a lot of people that have died and none of them have been raised from the dead. But God wants you to know that in our pain, in our sorrow, that he is good. And that he is working on behalf of those who love him. Let me just end with Romans 8, 28. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And have been called according to his purpose. Men and women, I can't tell you why everything bad that's happening to you is going on in your life. And I can't even tell you or guarantee you that the circumstances are going to change. And I can't even tell you that God's going to answer your prayers the way you want them answered. But here is what you can stand on. That you can know that in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your trouble, when you don't want to party, that you have a good God. And that he is working out all the circumstances, even the bad ones, for your good. And that is a reason to party. That is a reason to celebrate. Why don't we stand up? God is good.
And just right now, would you close your eyes with me? If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you a chance right now. If you've never let him come in and take away your sin and give you eternal life, I want you to pray with me right now. You can just pray a simple prayer like this. If that's you today, you're saying, Robert, I don't know if I know Jesus. I'm not positive that I'm going to heaven when I die. If you want to nail that down right now, just pray with me. Just say a prayer like this. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying for my sin. Thank you for rising from the dead. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I'll walk with you forever.